This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. This is the Work and Life podcast, which explores how to create harmony among the different parts of life, work, home, community, and the private self, your mind, body, and spirit. Here is your host, founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project and author of the bestseller, Total Leadership, Professor Stu Friedman. Madonna Harrington Meyer is a professor of sociology and the Laura J. and L. Douglas Meredith Professor of Teaching Excellence at the Maxwell School of Public Affairs at Syracuse University. She's a senior research associate at the Center for Policy Research and faculty affiliate at the Aging Studies Institute, also at Syracuse. She's the author of the 2014 book, Grandmothers at Work, Juggling Families and Jobs, winner of the Gerontological Society of America's Kalish Book Award, and she's the co-editor of Grandparenting in the United States and of Market-Friendly or Family-Friendly, The State and Gender Inequality in Old Age, which also won the Gerontological Society of America's Kalish Book Award. She's published over 50 scholarly articles in leading journals, and her research has been reported in the New York Times, Boston Globe, and other leading periodicals. In 2016, she was named winner of the American Sociological Association's Section on Aging in the Life course, the Matilda White Riley Distinguished Scholar Award. In this episode, Madonna and I discuss the indescribable joys of grandparenting, as well as some of the new underbelly for grandparents who provide care for their grandchildren. In her research, Madonna has found that what sociologists call the intensification of motherhood has now seeped into grandmotherhood as well. Increasingly, grandparents are not just having fun with their grandchildren, spoiling them rotten, They're also taking them to doctor's appointments, dropping them off and picking them up at school and at other events that they have to attend, lessons, sporting events, etc., supervising nightly homework and baths and more. In short, grandparents are taking on tasks that have, until fairly recently, generally been the purview of parents. So in addition to the sublime pleasures of grandparenting, many grandparents are now also feeling high levels of stress and strain as grandparenting intensifies and as more grandparents are continuing to work outside the home. This is an important trend. And I think you're going to find this conversation to be informative and... uh, kind of fun. Well, I hope you like the Work and Life podcast, and if you do, I would much appreciate it if you would please rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts, so others are more likely to find it and enjoy it as well. Now, get set to listen to and learn from sociologist Madonna Harrington-Meyer, a leading expert on grandparenting while working. Madonna Harrington-Meyer, what 
Can you tell us about grandparents? I would like to start this conversation by asking something I don't know about you, and that is, um, what was your relationship with your grandparents like? Oh, that's interesting. I, my grandparents died very young, and mm. I only knew my grandma, and only until I was about five or six years old, and then she also died. So I didn't really have grandparents. Wow. I have one memory with my grandma. She came to visit for Thanksgiving, and she had her hair always up in a beautiful white bun. And I asked if I could brush her hair. And I brushed her hair, and then we put it back up in the bun, and she loved it so much. That's my one little snippet with my grandma. Wow. Um, so people always ask me what, how I became interested in aging. All of my research is in topics related to aging. And sometimes I wonder if it's just because I missed out. Hmm. Yeah, well, that would make sense. You're exploring a topic that, uh, you know, was sounds like it was something of a you know a missing piece in your early years. Right. I watched all of my friends with their grandparents, and this just really was not an option for me. Hmm. Yeah. Well, what what have you learned about about grandparenting? I, you know. Uh, just a couple more thoughts here, you know, to set the context. You know, it's it's. This trend, which is you're going to be telling us about it, it seems like it's a win for everyone uh, with grandparents helping out with their grandchildren. Parents get a break, right? Either they're able to go work more or be less worry-free or they get some time off you know, to, to have some leisure time. Grandchildren, generally speaking, love to be with their grandparents who tend to be more lax in discipline, right? And who, you know, just cut them a little more slack than their parents do. They indulge, they coddle, maybe spoil them, or at least this is how the common thinking goes. And of course, you know, grandchildren generally love uh, being with their grandparents. So, and for the grandparents, you can see how that would be, uh, you know, just the perfect thing to be doing at the end, in the end years of, of your life. So this is the rosy picture I'm painting, but I know it's not always the case. And while, you know, in earlier eras in our country and around the world, multi-generational child-rearing, uh, that used to be the norm. And people used to be, you know, close geographically to their families of origin. But now it's it's totally different. People are dispersed. And, um, you know, especially women of parenting age are working outside the home. And so uh, they are families, working families, need more support. And so the grandparents, some of them I know, are moving you know, to be with their kids mm-hmm. so that they can provide the service and, and get the benefit. Um, there's there's so much that I've heard about this topic lately. Maybe it's because I'm 67. I, I have a grandchild and hope to have more. So I think about this a lot, and I know some of our listeners do. Uh, maybe you could start with uh, just a an overview of what the big ideas are, the major findings are in your research on on grandparenting and and grandmothering especially? Well, let's do start with the rosy picture because you're right. It's a big part of the story. In fact, the entire second chapter is called Joy. (laughs) That's not something sociologists ever get to write about. Really? Yeah, because they... We write about difficult, challenging things. Mm -hmm. But when I interviewed... Here's something. Let me explain how I got started on this book. Please. I... My husband and I have three children, and okay. we both have careers, and all those years of raising our children and managing our careers, 
uh, we call those, those are the bungee cord years. Our lives were tied tight by bungee cords. If I needed to be somewhere, he had to be home with the kids. If he needed to be somewhere, I had to be home with the kids. We were constantly just negotiating who could be where. It was like a really tight rubber band. And our children were in high school and about to start, you know, going to college. And we were starting to think about empty nest. And I went to a conference and all these women at the conference who were professors were talking about how much pressure they were under to take care of their grandkids. Oh, so these, these are your sociolo- sociologist buddies. Yeah, sociology professors, but they were older than me, right. and they were already grandmothers, and they were talking about how their children were asking them, could you spend your spring break here with us? Could you spend your summer here with us? Could you take them every Wednesday? Could you take them for a month in the summer? Could you take them for two weeks after Christmas? Mm-hmm. There was all these requests, and they were surprised, and on the one hand, delighted, and on the other hand, a little overwhelmed. Oh, because they're still have, busy with their thriving careers, and they are, and That's and right. and here their sons and daughters are kind of expecting that they would be there to take care of their children. Because who else is going to do that? Right. So when I interviewed, I interviewed forty-eight working grandmothers. So everybody in the story works and helps with their grandchildren. Okay. And I looked at national data, and I found out that of all the women fifty plus who have jobs and who have grandchildren. About half of them do indeed take care of their grandchildren. Half? So about, of, of, of women who are grandmothers who are working, about half of them take care of their grandchildren. To some degree. Yes. I mean, there's, there must be quite a range right. in terms of how much time and, and effort they invest in that task, right? Right. But it is a common thing. Yeah. And so I interviewed 48 working grandmothers, and the entire second chapter was devoted to joy because that was the number one topic. Their eyes filled with happy tears. These grandmothers loved their grandchildren. They, one, one woman told me her two favorite words in the whole world are, Grandma's here. Hmm. Because mm-hmm. she knew that meant this small child was going to be running at her for a hug. Grandma's here. And several of them said, you know, you love your grandchild, but you love even more how much they love you back. Hmm. Their eyes filled with happy tears. They talked a lot about how first time around having children, you know, they were busy. They were always having to do the dishes and the laundry and, you know, mow the lawn and shovel the snow and deal with doctor appointments. And the second time, they're not so busy. I can sit down. I can relax. We can do that puzzle. We can read that book. We can do the dishes tomorrow. Mm-hmm. There was a real sense of having the leisure to just enjoy it more the second so time. So more fun. You know, I was speaking to Emily Oster, who studies uh, parenting. Uh, she's an economist and has looked at the research on on parenting. And one of the things that uh, themes that came up uh, a number of times was this notion of uh, you know lots of joy but no fun for parents because you know exactly right. what you're saying uh, the 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 time and and other demands are just so much the, that it you know the fun factor is really quite limited even though you feel joyful about having you know, uh, children that you're bringing into the world. But with, right. with grandparents, it's and different. These, well, not, I mean, not completely. We'll, we'll get back to that. But we're okay. talking about the rosy picture right now. <laughs> um, but these grandparents talked a lot about the park and getting ice cream. Let's have ice cream first. We can have dinner later. Who cares? If we miss bedtime, if we watch a movie, we can have popcorn. And if it spills all over the floor, we'll vacuum it tomorrow. There was this real sense of being able to relax 
and go with the flow and enjoy it more. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was really lovely to hear. And really to a person, their eyes filled with happy tears. They truly loved their grandchildren. And for some of them, it was the second chance. Um, Hmm. Some were just too busy the first time, and this time they wanted to do it differently. So, for example, one woman who had really prioritized her career never stayed home a weekday with her own children, but stayed home every Wednesday with her grandson. Hmm. She was making a different set of decisions. Yeah. And one of my favorite stories was about a grandpa, so I didn't interview him. Grandma told me this story. She said that when he was a father, he never changed one single diaper. Not a single now, diaper? Not one. But as a grandpa, he was determined to change those diapers, and he would, like, push them out of the way to race down the hallway to get to the baby first. Get me that diaper. Yeah. That's my diaper. I'm going to do it this time. So uh, (laughs) Joy and Second Chances was a big part hmm. of the story. This this ability to relax and just enjoy and watch them and giggle and and be silly and and not worry about all the other tasks. Hmm. Yeah. So there's a lot of pleasure in, in, mm-hmm. in these relationships, as we all kind of know and would expect. A great deal of joy. And then the picture starts to change a little bit. For some grandparents, that really is the, the story. But for quite a few of them, the grandmothering was getting too intense. Before you get into doing, that, uh, hang, yeah. hang on, Madonna. You, oh, yes. you talked about the, the bungee cord years. Can you exp- yeah. just finish that story? Because I don't know if we got to the, the end of what you wanted to say about that. What, what I wanted to say about that is that my husband and I were looking at our kids leaving. Yeah. And then when I heard all these other professors talking about pressure to take care of their own grandchildren, I wondered if we would someday be pressured like that. As well. Ah, okay. So were we just taking off our bungee cords only to be putting them back on in a few years? Right. We are not, we are not grandparents. Our, we have three adult children, but they're not having grandchildren yet you know this is not something we control how and yeah i've um, I've discovered that i have three of my own and i know that that's that's a decision that you cannot make but um no that's their decision to make but but you can facilitate right by 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 off by letting people your your children know hey i can save you a lot of money on childcare costs if that's (laughs) if that's the obstacle which it of course is for many people uh, you know, people, young people, that's one of the reasons why people are afraid to have kids of their own because they don't know how they can afford it. Um, so, so how old are, how old are they now? Your kids? My children yeah. are 29, 26 and 24. Okay. They're all still in grad school. You know, nobody's oh. in any hurry here. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> I hear you. All right. So, so you were afraid and you perhaps are still afraid that those bungee cord years are coming back. But I'm not really now because I really do see it's very different for grandparents. Okay. So, so this, but this, this observation, your sociological friends, your friends who are sociologists, you thought, wow, they're under some strain here. I better, I better find out what the story is. That's what motivated you to do this study. That is exactly what motivated me. Okay. And one of the things I found out is if you're well-educated and you have a lot of resources, you have a lot of options. Hmm. It's the families where there's not very many resources, not a lot of options, maybe not much money, maybe not good health. That's really where it starts to look like the situation is pretty serious. Mm-hmm. Right. Like with just about everything else in life, right? Exactly. It, it, it helps to have uh, support and resources to be able to do the things that have to be done in our lives. So how did you... What did you discover in your study um, after the joy factor? (laughs) 
We really found that grandmothering was becoming very intense for quite a few of the grandmothers. All but four of the 48 that I interviewed were doing more grandmothering than they ever expected to be doing and more than their parents did for them. All but four were doing more than they expected to and more than their parents did for them. When you say more than their, their parents did for them. So did their parents help? I, I take a life course approach. So I not only ask you, what are you doing right now to take care of your grandchildren? I say back when you were the mom, did your parents help? Did they take care of your kids? Did they come over on Saturdays? I asked all those questions as well. And what I found was their parents didn't do anywhere near as much grandparenting as they are doing. Now, why is that? What, what, how have, do you account for I that have, change across the generation? Right. I have two answers. The first one is our welfare state does not provide very much support for families. Right. So even though most countries in the world guarantee paid vacation, paid sick days, our country does not. Whether you get paid vacation and paid sick days is entirely up to your employer. Mm-hmm. And we know that employers tend to offer those benefits to higher paid, full-time continuous workers. If you're lower income and you're more irregular in your hours or part-time, you're much less likely to have those benefits. So if we look at earners in the bottom quintile, the bottom 20% of earners, mm-hmm. only about a quarter of them have paid vacation and paid sick days. Mm-hmm. But if we look at earners in the top quintiles, the top 40% of earners, nearly three quarters of them have paid vacation and paid sick leave. And then also, you know, we don't have any federal guarantees for paid parental leave. So what we see is as a welfare state, we don't have very many policies in place to help families juggle work and grandkids. And that's part of why they call grandma. Uh, So why is that different or how is that different than the generation ago? What's different now is that we have more moms working and more moms with young children working. Mm -hmm. That's what's really changed, right? Mm -hmm. It's right. the advent of, of, of women moving into the workforce in greater, greater numbers that greater has numbers. put this pressure on, mm-hmm. on family, li- uh, family lives in the current generation and hence on grandparents. And I have a second answer, and that is there's been an intensification of motherhood. The sociologists use this term a lot. Sharon Hayes, a couple other scholars have used this term a lot. They say that over the last 20 years, almost 30 years now, there's been this change in what it means to be a mom. I see this. My mom always pointed it out to me. She said, when I had you children, all I ever said was go outside and play. Mm -hmm. But me, to my children, I said, get in the van. I have to take you to your saxophone lesson, and then we'll go to basketball practice, and then I'll stop by to get your uniform for your camping trip this weekend with the Girl Scouts. Well, you you were a good mom, Madonna. Well, we've come to define that as being a good mom. <laughs> yes, I was being sarcastic. Be, yeah, it used to be that a good mom said go outside and play. So the intensification of motherhood means what in 2019? So what I saw was role convergence. It used to be that the role of a grandma was very different than the role of a mom. And what I saw was a lot of grandmothers who in fact said to me, I'm so busy wearing my mothering hat, I don't have time to wear my grandma hat. Oh, and, and by that you mean that they're... They meant I'm so busy taking them to their doctor appointments, their therapies, helping them with their homework, hmm. giving them a bath, tucking them in, that I don't have time to just go to the zoo or have an ice cream cone but or you, watch a movie. But you just described all that joy and fun and relaxation that they were having. 
There is that, but there's also all this other things that they're doing. Mm-hmm. All these other things. Grandparents are doing a lot of driving, feeding, bathing, a lot of help with homework, a lot of help. There's tremendous upset with the state of mathematics amongst the grandparents. Mm. <laughs> they have a very difficult time helping with math homework. They're paying for scientific calculators that the kids need in high school now. Um, they're taking them to, to lessons, to therapies, to camps. Uh, the grandparents were doing a lot of tasks that historically had been mom and dad's jobs. And then increasingly grandparents were being asked to do. So let's, let's unpack this a little bit further. The, what are the main features of this intensification of motherhood? And then we'll get into what that means for grandmotherhood. What are, what are the main features of that trend? The argument about intensification of motherhood is that, As our country becomes more unequal, parents are trying to give their child a competitive edge. And they start that process at birth, before Mm. birth. They start that process early, trying to get them located into the very best preschools, into the very best elementary schools, into the best camps. Children do, um, you know, they pick a sport and they do it all year round, just this one sport. They specialize early. There's this tremendous attempt to give your kid a little bit of a step up over the other kids so that you've got a competitive leverage. You've got some, some competitive edge in an unequal world. That it's harder to keep your spot in the middle to middle upper class and that families work very hard to position their children. So the argument about intensification of motherhood is that you purposefully cultivate your child. As... You don't let them go play outside with sticks and dirt. You purposely give them this lesson and that lesson and this lesson and that lesson, all trying to give them a competitive edge. To, to, and, to enhance their human capital, as it were, to make them more valuable yeah. in the, ultimately in the competitive academic and the labor market. So they get into the best schools, get into the best internships, get into the best jobs. That's the thinking. That's right. Seems and right. And spilling you, over into grandparenting. Because those tasks now have to be shared by the people who are spending more time taking care of their, the, the, exactly. those children. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. all right, so how are grandparents responding to that challenge, that pressure, so that role convergence, that as you call it? Yeah. One of the things that makes this difficult is so many of the grandmothers are still working. We have an increase in working mothers. We also have a big increase in women working in their 50s and 60s. On average, half of Americans are grandparent by age 50. But a lot of them are still working well into their 60s. The mm-hmm. age of retirement is increasing, not, not going lower. Right. So they're juggling work and grandchildren. And those stories were just amazing. Mm-hmm. Grandmothers who were getting up at 6 a.m., driving the children to three different schools, then going to work for eight hours, then reversing all that and picking the children up at three different schools, taking them home and you know, getting them homework and bathed and ready for bed before their parents could return from the office. Wow, and where do they get paid for that? So the 48 <laughs> grandmothers that yes. I interviewed, not one of them was being paid. Of course not. I, again, I was being but, a little sarcastic, but to make the point well, that this is a lot of labor. It is a lot of labor. But nationwide, uh, some grandparents are paid. Oh. There definitely are some. Just I didn't happen to capture any who were. I see. And I asked them if they were paid, and frankly, they found my question insulting. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that was the moment in each interview when they would say to me, are you a grandma? Like, you wouldn't have asked that question if you were a grandma. Why were they insulted? But, 
because they didn't want the pay. They are doing this for love. They, right. They're not doing this for the money. And to even to even raise the topic or the the suggestion that this would be done for a mu- you know remuneration or some economic means as opposed to just giving would be uh, would be to offend their 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 right. their morality. Although nationwide there are grandparents who do get mm-hmm. paid by their mm-hmm. children. So mm-hmm. it's, it's not, that's not a universal feature. Mm-hmm. But I found grandmothers who were using all their paid sick time and paid vacation time to care for the kids, mm-hmm. who were rearranging their schedules so they could meet the bus every afternoon at the end of the day. I had grandmothers, one grandmother, uh, she had twin grandsons who were born. One had, um, they, had two di- they had two different disabilities, and she gave up a full-time job that had full benefits. She had steady pay, paid sick time, paid sick leave, private pension, health insurance. She gave that all up, moved across country, and became a real estate agent. So she went back to school, became an agent, which was a very flexible job that she could help with these two grandsons. But she gave up all of those benefits. She gave up health insurance, all of those, in order to be flexible so that she could help with her grandson. Did she have a spouse or partner who traveled with her to do that? She did, and her spouse did the exact same thing. They both did it. So they went. So grandpa and grandma hitched up the but wagon and drove across country and changed their jobs just so that they could help out with their kids, kids who were sick and in need of support. Who had some disabilities. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. So I saw tremendous juggling of work. How did they feel that that pair of grandparents? Can you do you well, have a they, sense for what what their yeah. what their yeah. feelings were about doing that? Right. They felt very needed. One of their grandchildren had ADHD, one had autism. Mm. They needed some special help, and they really felt needed, and they were glad to help. But they worked every day and then would spend the entire afternoon and evening and most weekends with the grandchildren. And she said, we have been evening parents. That's what she called it. We have been evening parents for 17 years because they had helped with other grandchildren earlier before they moved. So this is the thing, too. You know, if you have children, you know, you raise your children to age 18. But if you have grandchildren, you might be raising one group after another after another to age 18. If you're lucky. Yeah. She had been been doing this for years. Mm. And she said, sometimes I need a nap. So I don't get one. (laughs) Oh, man. I, I can't imagine a day without a nap. But that's another topic. Donna, um, so how do grandparents feel about this intensification of motherhood that we were talking about? In other words, do grandmothers kind of buy into the um, this what you described as uh, you know this competitive process of ensuring that your child has every economic and uh, cultural advantage? Um, or is there a difference in the philosophies of mothers of these two generations that you studied? Well, one of the things it seemed clear was that if both generations had a similar philosophy, things were going to go better. Right. If they had different philosophies, you could see how it might really un- untangle in a bad way. Yeah. I'm just thinking of one one grandmother who told me, that her daughter had a policy at her house, yeah. no electronics of any kind. There could be nothing plugged in, nothing that had a battery in the household at all. Wow. She said, I have free-range grandchildren. 
<laughs> Free-range grandchildren. That is the and term. So when Grandma came to take care of them every day after school, yeah, she was not even pre- permitted to bring her phone into the house. She, there were no laptops. There were no toys with batteries in them. Wow. So she said, you know, this isn't how I raise my kids. This isn't how I would choose to raise my grandkids. Yeah. But I'm absolutely going to go along with their wishes. I'm going to do as they ask me to. And so that was it. Uh, mom had authority to set the rules and grandma had to follow them. That seemed very clear. And even uh, some grandparents, for example, one grandmother said she was still working and they said to her, you know what, why don't you quit your job and we'll pay you and that way you'll make the same amount of money, but you can watch the kids full time. And she said, I am not going to do that. I am not going to quit my job. I need the balance. Mm. I need to be able to go to work and have time to myself and see the grandkids, but I don't want to be their employee. Mm-hmm. I don't want them to be able to tell me what to do. And yet, they were eager to please. I think all of the, them the were grandmothers, aware. The grandmothers they, were eager to please. Is that what you're saying? They were, mm-hmm. yeah. I think they were very aware that if, if they did too many things that seemed in violation of the rules or the policies or the procedures, uh, that they, they might get sacked, even though they weren't getting paid anyway. They might get fired for the job well, that they're doing for free. Yes. I you mean, know I'm what, Mom? You brought yeah. your cell phone into the house two days in a row, so we're going to have to let you go. <laughs> that sort of thing? Well, I'm aware of a story where uh, there was a wood-burning stove, and the little one touched the stove and got a small burn. Ow. And they said, that's it. You're not providing enough supervision. Whoa. Okay. So, you know, I, they were eager to please. But I will say um, they did so mostly happily. You know, it didn't matter. Mm-hmm. It's fine if we don't want to have cell phones in the house. That's fine. Let's, you know, let's move on. Let's let's have a good time. So It seemed to me mm-hmm. that one of the biggest impacts was on social life. The grandparents hmm. were working, the grandmas were working full time and caring for the grandchildren. And it did not leave a lot of time for social life. For friends and, and, and yeah, leisure activities. And so they sort of had three strategies. One group really protected the friends their own age. They went to their high school and college reunions. They went to get-togethers, cruises with their friends. They really protected those long-term friendships with people their own age. Mm-hmm. A second group completely refocused their social life onto their family. All they did was family dinners, family vacations. They went to every t-ball game, every basketball game, every choir concert, every flute solo. They went to all of those things. And then the third group... And those people, let me just clarify, yeah. they were forsaking their friendships. Completely. And, mm-hmm. and happily doing so, although they said their friends were complaining. But yes. Mm. And in fact... We never see you anymore, and we don't want to join yeah. you at the t-ball game. So Yeah, we're not, we're not coming to t-ball. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> right. One mom told me she was part of a walking group, but then she got so busy taking care of the grandchildren, she quit the walking group, and her friends were very unhappy about it. And she said... Well, they just don't understand. Uh, My priority is my children, my grandchildren. Mm. This is my life now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what was... Some of them even told me that's that's what I should do. Like when my day comes and I'm a grandma, I need to give up my friendships from, you know, my life and refocus on my family. And what was the third strategy? The third strategy was I'm so tired. I have no social life of any kind and I'm going to bed. Some of these Back to naps, are, where we picked up, where we ended our, our conversation before the break. People yeah, need to rest, especially as you get older. And some of them just do not have the best health. 
some people have had knee replacements, hip replacements. They have arthritis. Um, you Tell can really see it. people who were just so tired that they had little choice. They went to work, they took care of the grandkids, and otherwise they went to bed. People who hadn't been to a movie theater or restaurant in years. Hmm. One woman told me, my bed is my best friend. <laughs> okay. So, so yeah, tired, uh, overworked. And what about employers? Uh, you know, I, I want to I find out more about each of the three strategies in terms of which ones were most effective, if you have, right. have some evidence on that. Um, but I also want to hear what you might have picked up or what you might be you know, um, theorizing about in terms of what employers do or can do to recognize grandparenting responsibilities as you know, equivalent to parenting responsibilities and treating people who are grandparents caring for their kids just as they would try to treat parents uh, with giving them the flexibility and support that they need. Right. Several of these women had very understanding and flexible employers. Mm-hmm. Often they'd been with the same firm or company for years and their employers loved them, valued them, and didn't want to lose them. Mm-hmm. So the employers would say, it's fine with us if you use one of your sick days when your grandchild is sick. That's okay with us. We're not going to pick at, pick at you about that. Go ahead and do that. Or you can come in late because you're going to put them on the bus. Or you can leave early because you're going to collect them from the bus. Mm -hmm. You can take some work home every Wednesday. That's fine. One woman had a little nest in her corner. I saw it. It was sort of like a little big bird nest. It was full of books and toys and blankets. And then she had a roll of quarters. The kids came every day after school. She still had to work two more hours. They just played in the nest. They went to the vending machine and got a snack. And then at 5, they all went to their house, did homework, dinner, baths, bedtime, and the next day they got up and did it all again. Wow. So I saw very understanding employers. Mm-hmm. One of the things I found was that the grandmothers seemed to be much more secure in their jobs than their adult children were. Mm-hmm. With the adult children, there was always comments like, well, her firm has been talking about layoffs. We're afraid she might get laid off. Or he just got this promotion we're afraid that if he takes too many days off for snow days or sick days, that he might not get the next promotion or he might get mm-hmm. laid off or he might be in jeopardy. Um, so their the, careers were more fragile and, and therefore they needed yeah. to prioritize them? Yeah, it was almost, yes, exactly. I did these interviews during the Great Recession and a lot of the adult children were in firms that were consolidating, uh-huh. that were merging. There had been you know, layoffs, there had been people let go. And they were very afraid of in any way sticking out as a bad employee that it might cost them their jobs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to tell you, there was a, a, often a lot of the grandmothers worked in an office where all the other people in the office were also grandmothers. Oh. And they would just negotiate. Okay, I've got a t-ball game on Tuesday. Okay, I've got a flu concert on Thursday. Okay, I've got a camp out on Friday. And they would negotiate through the week who needed to be where, and then they would just let each other go and cover for each other. All right, so one of the, one of the uh, pieces of advice that I gather you would offer then to grandparents uh, who have care for their grandchildren is to work in an environment where there are lots of other grandparents. It sure seemed to pay off. <laughs> it's not an option everybody would have. Of course. But it certainly seemed to pay off. That's well, right. What else did you discover about you know, what works and, and how to negotiate these many different uh, relationships and sources of potential conflict 
uh, you know, so that you know there's more joy and more fun and, and less strain and, and real opportunity to provide the love and care that you want to provide as a grandparent. Well, let's look at the, the impacts on physical health. Okay. That's the very one that really can tell us a lot. Mm-hmm. It was very interesting because there were very positive physical impacts and very negative physical impacts, mm. sometimes within the same woman. Okay. So on the one hand, she says, I'm so busy chasing the grandchildren. I never sit on the couch. I don't watch TV. I'm getting more exercise. I'm up and down the stairs, up and down off the floor, in and out of the house. I'm you know, moving all the time. I've lost weight. I've gone off some of my medications. Mm. I'm no longer diabetic. You know, some of them had very positive stories. One woman said it's better than getting a dog. <laughs> so, so running after kids keeps you young. Sure. Keeps you healthy. Well, it, it, keeps, it can keep you healthy. For people who had not been getting enough exercise, it was a big turn. Mm-hmm. And some of them found they needed to get in better shape in order to be able to watch the grandkids. Right. I need to be in better shape or I can't carry them up the steps. I need to be in better shape or I can't take them outside because what if they run away? So a wow. lot of them were really working hard to maintain their physical strength and speed so that they could keep up with the grandchildren. So, so there were some very positive physical effects. Okay. And as you imagine, there were adverse as well. well. And what were those? So what I saw was for some people it was simply too much bending, too much lifting, too many steps. People had sore knees, arthritis, sore backs, sore hips. And so for some of them it was just too much wear and tear on their body. It's, it's quite one thing to lug the kids up the steps when you're 30. It's quite another to do it when you're 70 or 65. So for some of them, it was just sort of too much wear and tear on aging yeah, bodies. of course. Yeah. So any advice that came out of that piece of the research findings? Like what would you, would you tell a grandparent about their physical health and what they ought to be doing? In terms of physical health, clearly the, the best advice was use it or lose it. But that needed to start young. Mm. Really, that needed to start before you ever became a grandparent, right? So if you're out of shape or you have some sort of physical you know, liability or disability, you may want to think twice before taking on responsibility for a couple of two-year-olds. That's right. So some, that's right, exactly. So some grandparents had sort of containment measures. So, for example, one set of grandparents said... Our son and daughter want to go on a, you know, like a European holiday for a week. And we said, you can do that, but you have to do it when school's in session so that the kids are in school every day from 8 to 4, and that gives us a break. The grandparents imposed that, that restriction. Exactly, yeah. Okay. So some had containment measures like that. Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. like, I will never take them on a Wednesday, or I'm not ever going to take them on a Sunday, or they always have to be back to your house by 8 p.m. You know, they, some set containment measures that gave them time to rest and recover. Yeah, um, physically and, and mentally, of, too, I imagine. Yes, but also remember, <laughs> grandparents also have to take a shower. They have to buy their own groceries. They have to fill their own gas tanks. They have to do their own laundry. They need time to do all those things that they're then going over to the grandchildren's house and doing. Of course. Of course. Right. So so a lot of this comes down to, it sounds like, uh, open communication and negotiation about mutual needs and how to, how to you know, uh, adapt continually to be able to satisfy those among the, the key players, those primarily being the parents and the grandparents. It seemed to me that the thing that mattered the absolute most is if the adult children were grateful. Okay. 
if the adult children were grateful, so they were saying thank you, they were bringing little gifts, you know, I made a pot roast for you as well as one for me, I was at your house so I went ahead and raked the front yard while you were gone, that sort of thing. If the adult children are grateful, if they're saying thank you, and the biggest thing of all, if they're checking, is the schedule okay? Mom, is this still okay with you? Do we need to take away one afternoon a week? Do you need a weekend off? Would you like us to change our schedule a little bit to accommodate you? That kind of thing. Mm. That checking in, is the schedule still working for you? That seemed to be worth a million bucks. So did you did you glean from the study insights about how grandparents should manage that process when they f- are feeling you know taken advantage of and perhaps resentful? I think it's a delicate line for all of them. They fear that if they say too much, if they complain too much, then they'll stop getting to see their grandchildren. Mm. The power in the relationship is all with the adult children. Of course. Right. So some of them, some of them said, in fact, some of them were afraid to say no. If, if, so I would be doing an interview, we'd be at her office, and her phone would ring, and she would check and say, oh, I don't really want to answer this because it's my daughter, and she's going to ask me to do more. And she would say, I don't want to say no, though, because if I say no too often, she'll start to call the other grandparents, or she'll oh. get a babysitter, or, you know. So a lot of them said they wanted right of first refusal. Because... Because they want a time with those grandkids. That's that's the critical uh, yeah. reward or asset, and so and yeah. parents control that. They uh, do, even though the and parents many, are dependent. Many families, right, exactly. It's a funny it's a funny shift, isn't it? In many families, it plays out just beautifully. Like the generations are so loving and so grateful to each other, and you know they say things like, "Oh, we're so close. We don't even have to say any of these words. We just stand and look at each other, and we all know." that this is such a magical thing we have going here. Hmm. But then in other families, it's not like that. <laughs> so what makes the difference there? I'm sure there are a number of people listening who want to know, what do I have to do to get this right? Well, I'm going to actually tell you a bleaker story. Oh. I is never that, asked that's on the That's on the road to giving us some, some hopeful advice, I hope? I think so. Okay. I think so. <laughs> I never asked about enabling. I never even said the word. But one-third of the grandmothers that I interviewed talked about enabling. Enabling, like, in a bad way? Yes. So I'll give you an example. The son has the grandchild for the weekend. They're divorced, and he's got the grandchild for the weekend. Grandma calls over, and she can hear the party raging. So The music's blaring in the background, et cetera. There's tons of people there. There's a party going on. Mm -hmm. And so she's torn. Do I go get my grandson for the rest of the weekend and thereby enable my son to be a bad parent and to keep partying? Hmm. Or do I leave my grandson over there? Hmm. So she went to get him, of course, right? And? One third of the grandparents talked about stories like that, where they felt this, this incredible pressure, like, I need to take care of my grandchild first, even if it is enabling my child to be... Uh, an ineffective and inappropriate parent. Irresponsible in, in this case, perhaps. Uh, and sure. Maybe it was yeah. important for him to be at that party so that he could find a new spouse or partner? No, I don't know. No, who knows? It was, it was a big problem. But it's a challenge for the grandparents to 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 decide who to who to who to serve, really. Right, but in the end, they always pick the grandchild. And is that what you advise? 
I don't think they have much choice. I think they're always going to pick the best interest of the grandchild because this is a, a minor. This is a child. Right. In fact, I even described some of these grandparents as providing lifelines. Hmm. They really what do you mean by that? Ability. Mm, one grandma said, I've bought every article of clothing that child's ever had. Wow. Uh, right. So, I mean, sometimes the grandparents were really doing... One time there was a story... So this, the, little grand, the little grandchild called Grandma. She said, Grandma, it's dark. She'd gotten home from school. The house was dark. Grandma came over. Why is the house dark? Then she thinks, did they not pay the power bill? Mm-hmm. So they go to the power company together, and indeed, the power bill has not been paid. Grandma pays the bill. So they go back. They wait at the house. The lights are on now. They wait for Mom and Dad to get home from work. And Mom and Dad are like, oh, yeah, thanks. Sorry, we meant to pay the bill. We just missed it or whatever. And then they say, stay for dinner. And then Grandma said they opened an extremely expensive bottle of wine to have with dinner. And she, she was furious. Mm-hmm. Well, How understandably. They had this nice bottle of wine when they let their child sit home in a house with no power. Wow. So Hard to believe. See, yeah. Some so, of these stories are very, very difficult. We are, we are at the end of our hour, I'm afraid. I, I have so many more things I want to ask you about. But let me just ask you one thing, and that is, what's, what's the main piece of wisdom or advice that, that you would uh, draw from this wonderful body of research that you have been doing on, on grandparents? I think it has to be do what's best for the grandchildren. Hmm. That that they come first. And to to keep that as as a priority. And and do you expect mm-hmm. you'll be doing the same, Madonna? Should you become a grandmother? Oh, I would love to. That would make me very happy. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And and how do you expect it's going to be with with you and your kids? What what do you see as the uh, as the the future unfolding uh, over these next few years? It's difficult to say. My children live about five hours away, so we would never be daily or weekly babysitters. Uh But I can certainly imagine us swooping in for a week or two at a time, that kind of thing. And I, I would love that. Yeah, well, and you'll you'll have uh, a lot of wisdom from your uh, from your work to to know what uh, you know what hoops to to jump through and and which one which uh, pitfalls to try to avoid. It seems to me that. Uh, the most important thing is to be expressing love and appreciation all the way around and exactly. and to to keep that communication flowing as to what your mutual needs are so that you can be solving problems along the way together. Um, very last thing, in 20 seconds, a question I've been asking everyone this year. What do you do to hold yourself accountable for the things that are most important to you in your work and life? To hold myself accountable. For what, for what you care most about. Yeah. It's the year of accountability. Oh, gosh. I haven't been thinking about this. I'm going to have to get up to speed. <laughs> I, I'm, going to, I'm going to say I, it's my to-do list. It's the top, you know, every day mm-hmm. for me starts with a to-do list, and it always starts with the things that I care most about. Well, so that's, that's a great answer. I would say I'm, I'm ticking things off my to-do list, Wait. and I, I'm going to have to read up on this. Well, no, I just made it up. Uh, I've been, oh, and, you made it up. <laughs> yes, it's it's a thing that I've been doing this year because I hope there's more accountability in our world. Uh, Professor Harrington Meyer, thank you so much for being with me on the show tonight. How can listeners find out more about your wonderful work? The book is called Grandmothers at Work, and it's from NYU Press. It's readily available, and uh, this was really a treat for me. I enjoyed it very much. Well, it's been my pleasure, and I know our listeners have enjoyed it as well. Thanks so much for, for being with us. 
I hope you found my conversation with sociologist Madonna Harrington Meyer to be illuminating. Now, picking up on what I took to be one of the more critical insights, simple really, but profoundly important, it seems to me, from her research, let me offer you a challenge, an invitation. If you are a parent whose parents are helping you raise your children, are there ways by which you can show greater appreciation for what your parents are doing to help you? Sounds simple, right? Let me know what you come up with and what happens if you act on any such ideas for expressing appreciation in a fresh and impactful way. I'd love to hear from you. So get in touch with me directly. It's freeman at wharton.upenn.edu or find me on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work and Life. This conversation was originally recorded on my weekly radio show on Sirius XM 132, Wharton Business Radio. Tune in for live broadcasts of Work and Life on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern. For more about this episode's guest and about previous guests, visit workandlifepodcast.com. And for more ideas and tools for creating harmony among the different parts of life, check out our website, totalleadership.org, and my book, Total Leadership. Be a better leader, have a richer life. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, rate it on iTunes, and share it with your friends, family, and coworkers. Until next time, I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I thank you for joining me. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.